Because God is always at work, even in the midst of virtual large group where we're physically disconnected from one another. We are connected by his promises and by the gospel. So every single week we open the Bible. And the reason we do that is because I don't want to just speak from my perspective. And I don't want to act like I can offer some kind of wisdom that's original with me. Every week we open the Bible and I seek to say what it says because our assumption or our U.S. assumption is that God has given it to us. It's God's word to us. And so I have to say what the Bible says for me to have something worthwhile to say here. So we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel is not a three-step program for how you can get spiritually fit. And it's not good advice like, hey, maybe you should consider trying on this faith in Jesus thing. It's good news. The gospel is an announcement of who Jesus is, what he has done, is doing, and what he will do in us, for us. So come to verses 9 through 11, chapter 1. So you read there with me, Mark 1, 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is God's word. My son, Robert, who's about two and a half, he started reading this book called The Ugly Pumpkin. It's a children's book. And in the book, there is this pumpkin who's just a little bit too skinny. He's oddly shaped. He's a bit too lumpy. And he can't find a place that he fits in. He doesn't fit in with the pumpkin patch. Goes into the forest and tries to be a tree, and that doesn't work out. They just laugh at him. And the positive punchline in the book is that he's not a pumpkin. He's a squash. When he finds out who he really is, there at the end, he's at a Thanksgiving feast, which is kind of weird, and he's hanging out with other squash, and he's just chilling with them. And Robert has read this book and had us read it to him so many times now, but whenever I ask him, when I look at the book and I say, who is that on the front cover of the book, thinking he's going to say, the ugly pumpkin, he always now says, squash. So who is that? It's the ugly pumpkin. And he goes, no, it's squash. Because he knows the story so well, he has such a clear view of it, that he's able to say and know who the main character really is. The gospel is the big story that gives us a clear view of our story and tells us precisely who you are. And this is what I I would say we, we see from Mark 1, 9 through 11, is that the gospel tells you who you are. The gospel tells you clearly and truly who you are. And there are two big implications from this that we're going to walk through. And the first one is that you are not alone. That's who you are. You are not alone. So jumping into the passage here, find out more about John the Baptist. And we learned last week that he is the the advertiser for Jesus's coming. He is telling Israel, God's people, The Messiah has come, so be ready. And that word Messiah, it means anointed one or one who is set apart. And if Jesus is the Messiah, that means that he is the one who is set apart to save God's people, Israel, from the separation and from the condemnation that sin or rebellion against God brings. The Messiah is the one who is going to fulfill 
what God's people, their purpose from the beginning, which is to bring light into darkness and show the nations who God really is through the beauty of their lives. And even bigger, the Messiah is the one who will, is supposed to bring in and usher in a new age where God's big purposes for this world will start to happen, leading to no more suffering, no more injustice, no more tears, no more death. So Jesus, as the Messiah, he has a big mission. But the first thing he does on his mission is to be baptized by John. And we see this in verse 9, where it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So in the last part that we read from this chapter last week, we saw that John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance. And repentance means turning away from one thing, turning toward another. God's people needed a baptism of repentance because they needed to turn back toward God. But Mark has already hinted, spoiler alert, Jesus is the son of God. Mind pretzel, he is God. He doesn't need to turn back toward God. So why is he being baptized? The baptism of repentance. And the answer comes in verse 10 where we see the heavens being ripped open and the Spirit of God descending on Jesus like a dove. The Spirit of God is God and is equivalent to God's presence or His nearness. So God's own presence, His own Spirit is descending on Jesus. But again, if Jesus is the Son of God, it's not like one moment before this, He didn't have God's presence. He didn't have God's nearness, and then now after he is sprinkled with water or dunked in water, now he suddenly has it. So again, what is going on here? What we see here is that the Spirit of God, it fell, he fell on Jesus for Jesus to complete his mission. And what this means, it's jaw-dropping, because it says something about what's at the heart of Jesus' mission. And we just said Jesus is going to rescue the entire universe from death and decay. But at the heart of Jesus's mission is bringing you and me into God's presence by bringing us toward himself. The heart of Jesus's mission is bringing you close to God and keeping you close. And so Jesus's baptism, it happened for our sake. So that whoever is identified with Jesus, or in Bible speak, baptized into him, whoever trusts in Jesus receives the same spirit, the same nearness that Jesus received at his baptism. The God, his plan is to bring you that close. This shows us that God's plan from the very beginning has been to draw you to himself, to keep you near, to keep you close. Is this the way that you view God? How many of us and how often have we viewed God as a manipulator, perhaps even an abuser who just wants to get what he can get from you and then just leave you in the shadows? How many of us, how often have we viewed God as some egomaniac who just wants to get you to offer praise from a distance and then go away? Leave your gifts at the door. The gospel tells us something very different. The God Jesus reveals is the God who longs to be close to you by bringing you close to himself. That is who God is, and that is the good news. 
And Jesus himself desires this so strongly that at the cross, he was willing to experience full abandonment to death so that you would live not alone, but fully known. Sufjan Stevens is a singer-songwriter that I really like, and he wrote a song called To Be Alone With You. And in this song, he's writing about his desire to be close to God. And here at the end of the song, he is talking about Jesus's own desire to be intimately close with him and with us. And he says this about Jesus. You gave your body to the lonely. They took your clothes. You gave up a wife and a family. You gave your ghost to be alone with me. You went up on a tree. So here's what the gospel tells you. The gospel tells you who you are. You are not alone. We so fear abandonment that in the end we'll be left heartbroken and on our own. We simply fear being unknown that that really people will never truly see us. But here's what the gospel tells you. The gospel is the voice saying that God sees you. And he knows you in full and he longs to be near to you by drawing you near to himself. And this is not God's side gig that he does when he has a little bit of time as he rescues the whole universe. In the midst of all that, you want to know what gets God really excited? It's being alone with you. Intimately close with you. That is who you are. You are not alone. In Jesus, God is near to your broken heart. The Bible tells us he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. And God in Jesus is nearer to you than you are to yourself. God is nearer to you than you are to yourself. And to understand why this is is good news, let's just ask, how does this work? Not only that God wants to be near to you, but he wants to make you a dwelling place for his spirit. So the Bible means when it says that God wants to make you temples of the Holy Spirit. Me? I'm apathetic. I so often don't want anything to do with God. I don't care if he's close with me. And yet God wants to make you a temple for his own nearness. You're not alone. So that's the first thing. You are not alone. But the second thing is you are not your sin. You are not alone and you are not your sin. So let's move back to the passage. So after the spirit descends, a voice comes from heaven in verse 11. And sometimes we, we think that ancient people, you know, they're really not that smart. And so obviously they thought that heaven was just above the clouds. Not true. The ancient Jewish people believed that heaven wasn't just above the clouds, but they knew that heaven was God's throne room. The throne room of God's own kingly presence. That's not seen within the material universe, but it's just and even more so real. And so Mark is saying That from God's heavenly, kingly throne room, his voice thunders and rips into the material world and fills the landscape where Jesus is baptized. And here's what it says in verse 11. The voice says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is a true statement. It's confirming Jesus's identity as the son of God. And that God is well pleased with Jesus, the son. Fact check true. And at the same time, we should ask ourselves, okay, is that all? It wasn't like it wasn't true. And then God says it and now it's suddenly true. So why is this here? Why is this so important? 
The good news here is that God, God's voice thundered into the world, not for Jesus' sake, but for your sake, for my sake. Because when you're identified with Jesus, baptized into him, when your trust is in him, these words, they apply to you. These words are for you. God's big thunderous message to you tonight is, in Jesus, you are my son or daughter. God's big thunderous message coming to you tonight is, you are my delight. It's the translation of, I'm well pleased with you. You are my son or daughter. I'm well pleased with you. I delight in you. I've heard, I think it's a really good question to ask. You know, if you really knew that, that God was listening to you and you were face to face with him, we talk about prayer this way, what would you say to God if you really believed that he was listening directly to you? But it, just as important of a question is, if you were face to face with God, what do you think he would say to you? What would his message be to you? And what we see here is that God's voice to those who draw near is not harsh, but it's full of delight. Is this the voice we expect? I think if we really are honest with ourselves, when we draw near to God, the voice we expect is the hammer of judgment. Like, this is what you brought to me? It's awful. Or we expect just disappointment, like, "Mm, better luck next time. Or we just expect silence and neglect. You're not really worth my words. This is not the voice of the gospel, but this is so often the voice that we expect. I went back recently and I was watching some old American Idol videos. I was you know, around when like, the first seasons came out. And there are all these compilation videos of the worst auditions in American Idol. And I mean, at the time, I remember I laughed at these things. But you watch them now and it just really is kind of cringy and breaks my heart. Because these are videos of people who are seeking after their dream. And they walk into a room and they start singing. And it's just truly, it's awful. It's like, you know, a falsetto like butchering of a Beyonce song. And then the judges, they're just relentlessly laughing at these people. And when it's over, they don't hold back. Or at least one of them would say, that is the worst thing I've ever heard. And it really, it really hurts me, but not because I'm so great, but really because I've been in that position. When I was in high school, I was in a cover band and we, ex- we were so grungy that we only played Nirvana songs. In like 2005, we were like an only Nirvana band, like cover band. And we went and our school, grew up in Nashville, so there were a lot of people trying out for the school talent show. So we had to try out and we played a Nirvana song in front of these people. And we get up there and I was the lead singer. And not only am I not a Kurt Cobain, but I'm not even a Chad Kroger, lead singer of Nickelback. I'm not even a Chad Kroger. And so I start, we start playing the song, and when I start singing, the first couple of rows of other people who are auditioning are falling out of their seats, laughing. And and I have to like give it to them. I think they thought I was joking. It was so bad. They were like, this is amazing. Like this is it's so bad that it's good, kind of thing. And somehow, like, I got through the song and I was like, yeah, we're available for birthday parties, let us know. And try to play it off like a joke. And then just like immediately ran to the parking lot and then wept. Ah, my dreams, my Nirvana cover band isn't going to make it big. But in that moment, when I, brought, when I brought my desperation before this audience, the voice that came back to me was mocking. 
And ever since that moment, when I get in front of people, there's part of me, because of that experience, that just expects that kind of voice. Laughing derision. The voice of the gospel tells you who you are. You are not your sin. You are not the sum of the worst things about you. You are not the sum of your, of your shame. You are not the sum of your failures. And maybe we listen to voices that tell us you have no sin. I think ultimately these, these voices are not entirely helpful because if we're honest with ourselves again, there is at least a seed of a haunting sense that there is something broken in us that needs healing. There is something that has gone wrong that needs forgiveness. So we listen to those voices in a misplaced way, but we listen to voices also that tell us you are your sin. That what defines you is the worst things that you've done. Your shame really is a clear view into who you are and who you will be. But the gospel is the voice saying you have sinned and you are not your sin. Because in Jesus, God has removed sin from your resume that he has taken your melody and Jesus has replaced the off notes with a beautiful masterpiece. You are not the sum of your failures. You are not the sum of your shame. And instead, what God ultimately sees when he looks at you is the resume of Jesus. His perfection given to you. What he hears when he listens to you approach him, is the beautiful melody of his own gospel, his own announcement. What God sees when he looks at you, ultimately, is what you are fully intended to be. What he's making you into. Which is what? The gospel tells you that in Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of the king. In Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of the king. God doesn't just put up with you or say, all right, you can come in. He delights in you. He daydreams about you. He doesn't stop thinking about you. He longs for you. This is who you are. With all of the sin that he sees fully, he sees what he intends for you, what you're meant to be, his son or his daughter in whom he delights. And so what identifies you in the end the biggest identifier for you is the pure delight of the king of the universe that's what identifies you think about what kind of freedom and joy we can have more of if we listen to this voice if we listen to this voice we can see that college doesn't have to be a boot camp where you have to figure out who you are which really means i'm just going to try to become the best me by performing better, by being better, which is exhausting. Instead, this could be the season where you begin to listen to what God says about you, who he says you are, who he is making you into, as his spirit dwells in you to transform you and to comfort you with his love. Who are you? You are not alone. You are seen, you are known Who are you? You are not your sin. You are a son or a daughter of the king in whom your father delights. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the gospel that comes to us with a true voice and tells us the truth. That anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So I pray that we would listen to your voice. 
Your voice would cut through the confusion. That your voice would cut through those other voices that lie to us. And tell us that we are our sin and we are bound to our shame. I pray that we would be free to know your delight in us. Through Jesus and in his name we pray. Amen.